You are listening to The Current Podcast, the official podcast of UC San Diego's IT Services Department. I'm your host, Miguel Rodriguez. Today is Wednesday, January 5th, 2022. Happy New Year to all. I hope you were able to enjoy some time off and didn't spend too much of that break waiting in line for a COVID test. As we face a few weeks of remote operations again, am I the only one thinking of the John Lennon song, It's Just Like Starting Over? Fret not, there's plenty to be hopeful about. And, as we recall from Hamlet, there is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. With that, we turn to this week's interview with our Senior Director of Workplace Technology Services, Brett Pollock. This is Mark Herzberger. Today, I'm joined by Brett Pollack, Senior Director, Workplace Technology Services. Brett, welcome back to the pod. How are you? Thanks very much, Mark. Look forward to a nice conversation like we had last time. Indeed. Uh, why don't we start in the area of business intelligence? That's a big part of what you work on, and it's a big um, initiative for, you know, with campuses adapting. So what's the evolution of business intelligence the past three to five years, and what's the continued evolution here at UC San Diego the next three to five years? Well, I'm sure all the regular subscribers know that Vince just had a podcast recently where he went over his new rules of data warehousing. So really much of our focus is sort of, you know, on the technical underpinnings with regards to what Vince kind of talked about to surface data really quicker um, so we can optimize it for analysts to kind of build reports and visualizations. So I think the other part of that is how decision makers are using that data to kind of drive decisions, you know, that they need to make within their group. And in fact, I was reading an article recently that summarized how decision-making is done in companies. And one of the quotes was, 58% of the companies surveyed in the study based 50% of their decisions on gut feel or experience rather than data. So, you know, that sounded a bit vague, but it does illustrate kind of our human tendency to go with our gut when we're making decisions. So if we can kind of get in the habit of using data to help inform our decisions, hopefully that'll result in better outcomes. So, you know, if you think about it, like a framework really to kind of look at how we categorize decisions, um, there's strategic decisions, right? There's tactical decisions and more operational decisions. So strategic decisions, um, you know, you can think about those kind of setting our organizational principles, objectives, kind of our high level priorities. And those decisions can inform tactical decisions, um, which more shape our policies, processes, you know, maybe our organizations, how we form ourselves to kind of support our objectives. And then there's operational decisions, which kind of look at more of like our metrics to support both our processes and policies. So one of the things that was kind of highlighted in the study is that, you know, traditionally each one of these things were looked at in more of kind of a hierarchy, but more data-driven organizations are looking at these things, you know, kind of simultaneously. So if a decision is made at one level, how does it then affect all the other kind of metrics that might be born out of decisions made at other levels. So I was kind of thinking about, you know, how this might impact UCSD. So I know, you know, there's been a lot of talk on student enrollment. So, you know, as an example, like if you look at our various maybe forecasts for student enrollment, you know, how would that impact us both fiscally, but what would it look at in terms of housing and parking and, you know, classroom capacity and Wi-Fi experience, learning outcomes, like all those other things that 
could be domino effects of enrolling, you know, different amounts of students. So kind of the foundation for that is kind of the analysis that Vince mentions, which is bringing in all the data. But I think now it's up to us to kind of figure out how to best join all these data together so that we can do kind of some of these what-if scenarios, you know, that we're thinking about. Then on that note, what's an activity hub and how is that a different model than what we used before? And how is campus adapting to the activity hubs as they're released? Yeah, so I guess maybe we could start by how things were done in the past. And so our legacy data warehouse was basically a collection of tables that kind of mimicked the structure of our source systems. And they really weren't designed to curate data for analytical purposes. So in certain cases, some of those tables were joined uh, more for reporting purposes. And then we built query link reports on top of them. And this served the campus well for a good long period of time where, you know, the contrast is in moving more to democratizing data. The activity hubs are kind of formulated to do that. Really, it's looking at a collection of data from the enterprise systems that sort of kind of coalesce under different data domains. For us, that's, you know, finance, student, uh, research, employee. Um, We're working on facilities right now. So the activity hubs are really designed to serve two purposes. The first is to provide a set of that curated data for analysts to build reports and visualizations. And the second is to feed downstream systems that need to be populated with campus data. So for example, our email uh, notice platform, Emma, um, it'll ingest data from the activity hubs in the form of column groups. And then allows senders of emails to build lists of folks based on certain demographic criteria. So those are kind of the two main um, areas of focus for the activity hubs. And folks, general adoption so far? So yeah, that's that's another interesting thing. So we were definitely focused on activity hub build out over the last couple of years. You know, we had the Quali Coeus implementation, UC Path, OFC deployment. So as these systems were going into production, we had to pipe data into the activity hubs and then subsequently build out reports on top of that data set. So that definitely was our area of focus over the last couple of years. I think from a governance perspective, we're just starting to get our feet underneath us, I would say, you know, with the activity hub build out being kind of massive and feverish, you know, we didn't focus a lot on taking kind of a 10,000 foot view to see how we can maybe streamline things across the board. And that is the focus now of uh, what we call the operational data committee, which was commissioned to tackle some of these key items. So ODC is made up of leaders across like academic affairs, administration, health sciences, to kind of now shift the campus towards this new model of analytics and reporting. And so much of that work is uh, developing kind of appropriate change management. It's targeting different roles in the organization throughout the campus to increase data literacy. And so, you know, in looking at this group and where we might be able to transform now the people that have access to the data and to streamline that access, I think is you know, going to get more broader adoption, you know, across the board here in in 2022. And I have a particular question. This information emanates from an activity hub or not, you tell me, but I know your team makes a lot of dashboards and and graphs and so forth that monitor COVID cases. How do they build those and what's that process like? Uh, Yeah, so COVID certainly pulled our attention away from the time we wanted to spend on developing kind of more structured governance and change management. So kind of due to the nature of that work, we had to redirect a lot of the the efforts there. But I will say the outcome has been pretty interesting and pretty rewarding work. So in addition to kind of the supervisor dashboards that everyone sees that, you know, shows basic COVID mandate compliance, we've been also able to collaborate with health sciences and others to combine our student demographic data with contact tracing data, 
vaccination data. And we've been able to build out some pretty interesting dashboards that kind of show clustered outbreaks based on where students live on campus, looking at building hotspots where action could be taken to notify students in that building to go get tested or to perform some kind of action based on the clustering that's occurring there. And now more recently with the rise of all the different variants, there is some interesting analysis being done, you know, around variant distribution and what that looks like for our uh, student population that tests positive on campus. So all of this is coalesced in the, uh, in the COVID activity hub, which is, you know, available obviously to a limited set of folks. So that really is our focus in that area right now. And staying on the COVID response and some of your previous visits to the current podcast, uh, we discussed the role of the mobile app yep. and uh, what, what are the latest updates on the mobile app and what's next for it in 2022? Well, specific to the COVID support, there's an initiative that you're soon going to hear about, which is a study commencing where campus students, faculty, and staff will be invited to participate. The goal of the study really is to measure the range of antibody levels of the UCSD community and really whether these levels are associated with kind of an increased risk of COVID infection. So it's pretty groundbreaking. And so the study really will also look at other demographic variables in addition to whether folks have been vaccinated, whether they receive boosters, their age, other different scenarios. I will say from privacy perspective, privacy has been involved every step of the way. There's IRB approvals for the study. So that's something that's, I think, really interesting that's kind of coming up that's going to help inform decision-making on different protocols that we continue to have across the campus. What's the tie-in with the app, though, on that one? Yeah. So where ITS fits in uh, is that we'll be using the UCSD app to scan the blood sample kits that will link their identity to the to the sample kit. Uh, so this is very similar to how the app links the COVID test with the self-administered COVID tests that come out of the vending machines around campus. So there's going to be more to come on this study, which is going to be very interesting. So that's some immediate work that's being done with the mobile app. There's a whole host of things that we're looking at doing as we kind of pivot away from COVID, including web registration, increased enhancements on availability, you know, using some of the OccuSpace data that we're ingesting into the mobile app. So there's a, a series of things that'll be coming soon. All right. Well, as a society, I don't think we're that close to pivoting away from COVID. But uh, in this conversation, we'll make a quick pivot. I did want to ask you about ServiceNow and some customer support. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's my recollection that the overall plan, as far as I understand it, is that more and more units across campus are going to adopt ServiceNow as their customer service mechanism of choice and turn off their own system. So how's that been going? And maybe same question, what's the evolution been last three to five years and, and where's it heading the next three to five years? Yeah. So with that, it's another aspect of ESR, right? And how we shift and how support is done primarily for administrative units that are supporting new enterprise systems. So the services and support portal um, that hopefully folks are familiar with has grown exponentially over you know, the last couple of years and recently received feedback from some of the team that we have over 1,300 agents in the system now. So as we look to 2022, the focus is going to be both on continued growth for those that haven't yet taken advantage of the system, but also more promoting and developing and examining metrics and service levels so that we're measuring response rates, customer satisfaction, things of that nature. So that's that's going to be the focus this year. It's now that we got folks on board, it's kind of this refinement and improvement on our metrics. How does that relate to the the idea of the single pane of glass that you've mentioned to me in the past? 
right? Um, that's one thing we've learned is that there's some, you know, standard meaningful metrics to look at, you know, your ticket volume, case aging, customer satisfaction, backlog. And so the longer you've been using a case management system, um, the deeper you can get into that kind of analysis. But now for groups that are just using the system, we definitely understand that there's kind of a, a maturity level uh, that we need to focus on to make sure that we're there to uh, kind of make the single pane of glass work for us. So I would say it certainly is a work in progress. Um, but what's great is that certain units are developing dashboards and metrics by themselves now that are meaningful to their business. The other day, actually, I saw one created by BFS where they were showcasing overloaded staff, which indicated how they might be able to distribute work in a more equitable way. So I can see the maturity level is definitely increasing for some units. And I know they're looking to make sure that they're passing that knowledge into others, maybe that are you know, more in the crawl stage. So you know, looking at more sophisticated metrics as we, as we mature is something that we're certainly going to focus on here in the next couple of years. And on the topic of customer support, you know, both the, the field support units and then the, the service desk are, are part of your area. And I know they've been probably extra tapped in the age of COVID. So how have those respective units adapted and responded? Yeah, I mean, I have to hand it to everyone in those groups. I mean, they've been on the front lines really through all this, and they've really stepped up. I think it's a testament to, you know, the leaders, the managers in those areas, the staff being so committed to supporting their customer base. We've had some, you know, unexpected challenges, you know, along the way, um, Wi-Fi at the start of the quarter, uh, which is obviously a very busy time of year, regardless for the service desk and field support staff. But, you know, staff handled customers with grace. We used our call volume metrics together with logs from the Wi-Fi system uh, during that time to get a sense of the magnitude of the problem. And then we were able to kind of take appropriate steps to mitigate the impact. We passed information on to the architects and those that are managing the Wi-Fi network in order to manually kind of jigger things on the back end to ensure that during times in which, you know, classes were changing and we saw high throughput to the Wi-Fi, you know, that we were making the experience as good as possible. So again, total team effort and definitely hats off to everyone there. Your area is called Workplace Technology Services, and our idea of a workplace has changed drastically the last two years. So how's your team changing with it? Yeah, it's an interesting question. As we know, most of the, the people, you know, that work for us, uh, work for UCSD, the workplace really has switched from a place you go to doing your work in the place that you live. And now that we've been doing this for a couple of years, I know new habits are forming for folks and they're kind of, you know, getting in their groove wherever their workplace might be. So I think the focus is as folks do start coming back to campus, that we look at kind of this equity between those that are coming back to work with those that are staying remote. And we know that, you know, technology can't solve all those problems. So it is going to be a mix of technology. It's going to be you know, process, culture to kind of make all this work. And this definitely has the attention even at the cabinet level because they experience it themselves. So this is going to be another area of focus for us where, you know, we're going to be looking at, uh, you know, doing some trainings, best practices, some mix of technology and conference rooms that we can recommend. So this is something we're going to be focusing on this coming year is, you know, how do we best make our hybrid work arrangement as productive as possible? Enough work, nitty gritty. Let's try to get to know Brett a tad bit more. Who's in your family and what do you all like doing together? So my family includes myself, my wife, my three sons, Ryder, Kaysen, and Silas, my daughter, Brisa, and my stepsons, Bradley and Andrew. 
And so what we like to do, so we actually, we just got back from a three-day trip over the weekend to Disneyland. So that was a really nice time. I would highly recommend the ride Rise of the Resistance in the Star Wars area. It was mind-blowing the effects that they use now in, in these new rides. So going from, you know, it's a small world over to uh, Rise of the Resistance, you see the contrast in, you know, something made, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago versus what they can do today. So that's been really neat. So we enjoyed doing those kind of things as a family. So I, I lost track. There was somewhere between four and six kids total. <laughs> Ryder, Case, and Silas, Brisa, Bradley, and Andrew. I, I have one and we are completely overwhelmed. So I, I commend your ability to uh, manage all of that. So besides Disneyland though, like what are the common threads? What do you all like doing together? Well, my two younger sons, they really love playing basketball. I played basketball as a kid and I definitely have a passion for the game. I love watching it. So really enjoy watching them and their passion for the game. And, you know, as they're kind of progressing through on their teams and whatnot, and their goal of playing high school basketball, and their brother's kind of paving the way for that. My wife and I, uh, we enjoy going to concerts and comedy shows. We recently saw Maroon 5 in the Chula Vista Amphitheater, um, which was a lot of fun. And then we saw Nikki Glaser, a comedian, um, pretty raunchy, but pretty funny at the Balboa Theater. So, you know, with COVID and everything, we're very cautious about, you know, going out. But, uh, you know, we, we try to make those plans when we can. So as we look forward to 2022, I know, as you said, that we're not going to be out of this anytime soon. So let's continue to make sure that we're checking in with one another. All right. Very poignant words of wisdom, Brett. We thank you again for joining the current podcast. Thanks, Mark. I sure hope you're enjoying this podcast. Remember to let your fellow IT services staff members know that this podcast exists. Get everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you can get your podcasts. This podcast is a collaborative effort, and we want to hear from you. If you have any ideas for podcasts or topics, send them to me at its-podcast at ucsd.edu. That's it for today. Keep an ear out for the next episode of The Current Daily.